He's cutting. Right. If you'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians is about half, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. Before we look at it, I just want to explain one thing. Some of you may have got an email this week. Um, I just want to explain. We're going to now start preaching from the ESV on Sundays. Reason being, um, we've been using the NIV for a number of years. It's still a good translation. We're not banning it at all. But we love the Bible. We affirm it as the Word of God. We cherish this. We firmly believe the original texts were God-breathed his word to us, his love letters to us, his promises to us, his, his, his yearning, his story of why we're here, of the meaning of life and who he is, more importantly, and what he's done for us. And we want to be very careful that what we read in English is what God actually said, don't we? We need to be careful about that. And translations, they all vary for different reasons. They're made by different councils of translators, different committees, with different intentions, and sometimes they can come out a little bit screwy. Not screwy, it's probably the wrong word. Actually, Jehovah's Witnesses one is, for the record. But others are just a bit, little bit, just, it's unfortunate sometimes in the choices of words that are used sometimes. And there needs to be as much a, a hunger for literalness, what we see in English is what was originally meant, but also it's got to be legible and readable. If you actually translated the Greek and the Aramaic into English, it'd be a load of gobbledygook. It's got to be put in expressions and phrases that we understand. Of course it does. But there is a very delicate balance between readability and literalness. And the NIV, unfortunately, along the way, to some of where some parts of it has been translated, uh, John will explain a little bit more next week before his sermon, but where flesh in the original text gets translated as sinful nature, it can imply that as Christians, we still have a sinful nature. We're battling against our sinful nature. That is not true. You are a new creation. You're not battling against your sinful nature. You have a new spiritual nature in Christ. You're battling against the old habits, the old ways, what the world makes you think, all the habits and routines and temptations you've learned and got attracted to in the past. You're still fighting that. That's not your sinful nature. You are a new creation in Christ. Do you see? You have to understand the difference. And unfortunately, just because of language, it can imply unhelpful stuff that can affect our identity in Christ. The ESV concentrates on a word-for-word translation. Other translations, such as the NIV, emphasize a thought-for-thought translation, which sometimes can make ambiguous passages give us an intention that wasn't originally there. The ESV will keep it as ambiguous, and we trust that it's just ambiguous. We're not going to get what the translators thought what they might have meant and put their meaning into it. We just leave it ambiguous in the ESV. Even actually one verse in the NIV actually reverses the meaning of the verse. So we've just got to be careful. The NIV is not banned. It's not a bad translation. There's just some unfortunate verses in it. And as much as what you read at home, read your KGV, your NASB, your NIV. That's fine. Bring it with you to read now. That's okay. But when we preach, we want to serve you well as a preaching team. We met, and this is one of the things we discussed last Sunday. We want to serve you well, and in order to do that, we want to know we're on as safe ground as possible, and that's why we've chosen the ESV as our default translation for preaching from. Does that help? Don't want it to be too academic, just want to explain. If you want to know any more and wonder what verses I'm talking about, come and find me after, and or read the email, or get someone to print it off for you if you haven't seen it yet. Simple as that. The end, and John will explain a little bit more about one of those aspects next week. Galatians chapter 6. David, last week, this is our second to last in our 12-part 
look through the letter to the church in Galatia, what is now modern-day Turkey. Um, Paul was very concerned about what was going on over there. And David last week explained what life by the Holy Spirit looks like in terms of character. What's our purpose statement at Beacon Church? Living life Jesus' way, by his Spirit, on his mission, for his glory. Living life Jesus' way, by his Spirit, on his mission, for his glory. Yes, it should be on your bulletin somewhere, I believe, still. By his Spirit. There's a reason we've put that into that purpose statement. What we're here for, as, as, as God's church, we're here to live life Jesus' way, by his Spirit, not on our own. On his mission, we've got a job to do, for his glory, not for ours. By his Spirit. And last week, David introduced us to the concept of how Holy Spirit works within us to do away with the old ways, the old sinful nature, that's our old life, not what we have now, but actually life outside of Holy Spirit can end up in very insidious, poisonous lifestyles, not just envy, but stuff like, what did he list? There was that two lists, wasn't there? Sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, rivalries, dissensions, drunkenness and orgies. That is not everybody who lives outside the Holy Spirit does all that, but that is what life outside of the Holy Spirit can and does lead to. Does that help? And there was the other list, though. Life by Holy Spirit brings a whole character transformation. Over time, it's a process. Over time, our characters change and we become more like Christ. We demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We demonstrate that in greater capacity as we grow in Christ. If you don't feel you're growing in those, then ask about your relationship with him. I trust you are. But that's what we need to ask ourselves. Am I growing? And that's how you can tell if you're growing, by your character. Does that help? And so, Paul is now looking at what that looks like in specifics of relationship between us in this section, which is why we've called it gospel relationships. He's gone through the whole letter from crisis handling, right through doctrine and even Jewish history to help them get to the point where they can now understand why he's concerned about this crisis or what's going on. And he says, guys, if you just live by Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be doing any of that in the first place. Let alone your old life of drunkenness and reveries, you'll be living out the fruit of the Spirit. And now let's see what it looks like when that happens between you, not just as individuals. And that's what we're going to look at from the end of chapter 5. We'll just catch that last verse because that gets kind of caught up into the same thing. End of chapter 5, verse 26, and then up to uh, verse 5 of chapter 6. And Paul is just saying, if you're either displaying these things I'm about to tell you not to be anywhere near, or if you're not displaying the things I'm asking you to display, you're not as Jesus-centered as you think you are. Which is a bit frightening. But that's what he's saying. In verse 26 of chapter 5, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Feel that poke. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. For each one will have to bear his own load. Lord, I just pray as we reflect on these, just around a few verses, a very select few. But Lord, we trust that even here there is a great treasure of your truth 
of your reality, of you speaking to us even today, 2,000 years after this was written. Lord, may you come and speak to us. Not as something new, but actually as part of what we've already heard this morning. Continue to speak to us, we pray, as we open your word. In your name we pray, amen. I just want to, just over the next 25 minutes or so, it's not going to be a long one, I just want to look at this, these few verses just from three aspects. Firstly, look at the things that Paul's explaining of life outside the Holy Spirit, envying, provoking. Life in the Holy Spirit, carrying each other's burdens. What, why he says that and where that's come from. And actually lead back to actually, it doesn't seem explicit, but Jesus is quite clear through these verses. It's amazing. When you actually sit back and think, hang on, you look at each of these points and you see Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that's where I want to end up before we close the meeting on a similar theme to what Fred brought to us just now. So first of all, life outside the Holy Spirit. There are many things that we despair of in society, aren't there? Whether or not you read the Daily Mail, there are things you despair of, I despair of. What's interesting is that if we created a list of things that bother us about the big wide, big wide world outside, it would be the same things as what bothered the public back then and 3,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Nothing's changed. Cheating, envying, provoking, survival of the fittest. None of that's really changed. Still the same, still going on now. There's a reason. It's called sin. Outside of Jesus, outside of relationship with Holy Spirit, working from the inside out through us, these things come naturally. When my relationship with Jesus is rubbish, these things come very, very naturally to me. I start getting envious of people. Or I quickly descend into gossip at work, partly because it's easy, it's just happening and you join in. Why do you join in? Because it puts that person you're talking about down and makes you feel better about yourself. It's ridiculous, but we do it. But the more you live life with Jesus and the more you allow Holy Spirit to work through you, Every morning, good morning, Holy Spirit, how are you? Work through me today. The more you foster that relationship through reading his word, there comes that moment when you're tempted to gossip and he goes, not now. And it changes. These things otherwise come naturally. So verse 26, Paul is saying, if you're you're generally demonstrating the Holy Spirit working through you, then you won't be showing these things. Let us not become conceited. Conceited means vain, full of pride. Full of yourself. So someone once said, when someone sings his own praises, he always gets the tune too high. <laughs> I like that. It's good. It's true. Often this comes from low self-esteem. You may not display that you struggle with low self-esteem, but you try and make up for how you're feeling about yourself inside by trying to make yourself out to be something you're not. So you keep trying to big yourself up. Keep telling people about your achievements or the things you've done or what you're good at. You, need, you feel the need to prove your worth. And life can become a competition. You may not be telling people that's how you're living, but it actually becomes evident to other people that is how you're living. It becomes competitive, jostling for position. And we can see it in the church over and over again. People want to be used. People want to be given responsibility. Let's do a little bit of drama. I don't know if this is going to work. Let's find out. could go horribly wrong. Can we have half a dozen people? Who wants to come up here? Hey! Half a dozen people over here. Come on, Luke. Come and come and gather around here, and you're all facing that way. And a little kind of semi semi line up facing that way. <laughs>
Come on, side to side. Not, not in single file. Come here. Face that way. Face that way. Face the window. Come back here a little bit. Come back here. Come back here, Luke. You're a single file again, aren't you? Go side to side. You're a little crowd. You're a little bundle. Come over here, Luke. Luke. Luke is affirmed in his identity in Christ. He knows he's loved by Jesus. He knows he doesn't have to prove anything. He knows it's not because of anything he's done that he's saved, it's because of what Jesus has done for him. And he's content, he's content in that. And he knows over time, when the right opportunities arise and at the right time, God will give him opportunities to use the gifts he's put in him. So Luke's going to stay here, okay? Because you're content in who you are and you know your Father in heaven loves you big time and you don't need to prove that. You guys, right? Bit of a rabble, right? You want to be noticed. And you, you've got, you know you've got gifts and you have genuinely got gifts. You are talented and you are able of lots of different things. Fantastic at art and at music and well, your hospitality is amazing. And you, but sometimes you don't always get noticed and you want to make sure you get noticed. You're going to start jostling for position. You want to be seen in front of the other one, don't you? So you, you don't want the other person in front of you. You're going to have to jostle a little bit and get around them. And it's just, you just want to be seen because you want to use your gifts and it's all out of the right heart, isn't it? Of course. It's nothing selfish. It's just you want to offer your gifts to the church. And Paul says, stop. What are you doing? You're so full of yourselves. You're singing the tune too high, for starters. What on earth are you doing? And from the church's point of view, quite often we see the ones who shout loudest. Don't we? Which is why we as leaders need to pray a lot and talk a lot so that God puts the right people on our hearts of who to use in certain places rather than the ones who shout loudest. But this is what we see and this is what you see. The ones who are shouting loudly, the ones who are really good up the front and you are genuinely talented. It's not saying you're not. It's just that, or sometimes X Factor auditions, they're not talented either, are they? But <laughs> for example. But you see what's happened? It's, it's a temptation. This is a bit extreme. But it's a bit of a temptation. What does God see? Who sticks out like a sore thumb? God sees that. From your point of view, he goes, Luke's my man. At the right time, I'm going to use him in a big way. Do you see the difference? Take your seats. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Luke. God loves you. What a rabble. Do you compare yourself to other people a lot? It's easily done, isn't it? We all do it. We all do it. Does it make you feel indifferent? Or does it make you feel either better or worse? It's usually one of those two. If you compare yourself to other people, you don't feel indifferent about it. If you compare yourself to other people, either you feel better about yourself because at least I'm not doing what they're doing over there. I heard all about their big sin on Wednesday. (laughs) Wouldn't catch me doing that. Wouldn't catch me doing that. Or you feel worse. That person, they've got a great preaching gift. I'd love to be like that because I want to get the acclamation they get on the internet blogs. Who, people love them. They're a Christian celebrity and I wish I was like that. It's ridiculous, but we compare ourselves. Never compare yourself. Paul says, stop it. Because we are all equally lost without Jesus. We are all equally saved by him. The danger... In comparing ourselves to other, another person, I'm going to have to have really pray hard for that person more than another because they're more likely to get saved than that one. Or thinking, that person will never get saved. Look at them. Well, that's saying that my salvation is more, more or less of a miracle than theirs. 
Not true, is it? Well, that's what we're saying. My salvation is no less or more of a miracle than yours, and vice versa. Because we're all in the same boat, we're all dead in our sin, we're all lost, we're all unable to save ourselves, and we all need him. And he saves us through faith in what he's done. And this is another reason why Paul then adds in, in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is why I've said from the front before, we take Jesus seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. If we start taking ourselves seriously, we take Jesus seriously, we take the Bible seriously, that's not what I'm saying, but if we take ourselves seriously, we can get right up ourselves and we get blind. We miss the point. When you get feedback from something, who likes feedback? Not really. Just tell me I was brilliant and leave it at that. It'll be fine. We don't like feedback sometimes, do we? Which is why it's always important to encourage each other. Give someone 10 points where they were brilliant and then introduce the last little bit where something they could have changed. Big them up. But when we get, when we get feedback, or even when we're actually ad, outright criticised, there are three reactions we can go for. Think about it. When you generally get feedback about something you could change, something you could have done differently, how would you respond naturally? Would you, would you, defensive? Yeah? Seems to be more the defensive side. You can fight back. Well, it wasn't me, it was him, wasn't it? He's the one that did that. I'm just the one that looked like I did. But I need to make it very, very clear it wasn't me, it was him. Or the reason I did that was for a very, very good reason. So now you're telling me I shouldn't have done that, but here's the reason why I did it. Fighting back. Or curling up in the corner, feeling rubbish, and not having any quiet times for seven days. Or do we smile? Do we listen? Do we take on board what they said? but we're secure enough in our Father's love for us that it's okay, I'll just learn from it. They might be wrong, what they're saying to me. This criticism might actually be wrong. And we can have a discussion about that. That's okay. I'll learn how to communicate better in future, maybe, even if I was right. Or, they're right and I need to learn from this. It's okay, my Father loves me. How often do we do that? Not often enough, probably. I know I don't. See, there is a big clue to our identity and our reaction there. If our identity is in our achievements, in rules and regulations, in doing rather than being, if our identity is not in Jesus but is in our spiritual CV or lack of, I feel rubbish because I haven't done enough in the church and I haven't been noticed enough, or I'm quite brilliant. Then we get conceited, we get vain, and that's me saying I'm better than you. Or we get envious, and we think we're rubbish, and that's me saying you're better than me. When in fact, we're all family, we're all brothers and sisters, we're all sons and daughters of the living God, we're all in the same boat, we all needed the same amount of rescuing, we all needed the same Jesus to do the same thing on the cross for us. Jesus levels the playing field, doesn't he? And so Paul's saying, don't even go there, what are you doing? When you think about it coldly, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But we're all in danger of doing it. And when the church looks like that, we're not living gospel-centred lives. We think we are, we're not. That's not gospel-centred, that's rules and regulations again. Things I do or the things I don't do. But when we do live out a life of Holy Spirit working through us, there is an explosion of power that the world sits up and takes notice of. 
I've heard comments from people about what's gone on amongst us here in a positive light. And in other churches, when I've been in other churches, making even just simple things, making meals for someone who's just had a baby. November, do it for Ivan and Sarah, make meals for them. People notice and they go, where did that come from? Why do you do that? I was at a beach pastors meeting this week, just an initial idea of whether or not we'll launch it. I think we will. But there was a guy there who says, I'll do it out of my spare time. And people come up to me when I'm doing beach pastor in Whitstable and they go, are you getting paid for this? It's like, no. It's like, it's midnight, you're mad. It's like, because of God, because of Jesus. Makes a big difference. There's an explosion of power when we do things selflessly because of him. There's a reason why there are lots of one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, agree with one another, bear with one another, outdo one another in showing honour for each other. It's because that is not born out of rules and regulations. Go and do those things. Just make sure you are because it's born through the Holy Spirit. If you're not doing those things, it's because you're missing out on the relationship in the first place, that character that David was talking about. And Paul talks about another anothering here but bearing one another's burdens. So from verse 1 into verse 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, and what he means by that is someone who is mature, not someone who's into smoking cannabis and sitting in a hippie tent. You who are mature should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which I'll explain in a minute. It's restoration. The word used there is regarding resetting a fractured bone, a broken bone. To restore that bone needs resetting. That involves a bit of pain. Mostly for the person themselves involved, but it ain't easy resetting the bone as the surgeon. You're part of that. You're in there and you're causing pain to someone. It's not nice and you feel the anguish of that. Carrying one another's burdens isn't a light thing to do, which is why he's saying, you who are spiritual, you who are mature. Because then he says, keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He's not saying if you're helping someone out who is addicted to gambling, doesn't mean you're going to suddenly be tempted to have a go at the old online bingo. What he's saying is, watch your own weak spots, that you don't get tempted. Because as you bear someone else's pain, as you walk through with them, through their whatever they need, but if they need a Freedom in Christ course or they just need regular, regular accountability or they need to have very difficult conversations with people and ask for forgiveness. If you're walking through with them, you feel their pain with them, it can become a burden on you and that's when the devil can get in on you as well. So he's just saying, be careful as you do that, as you carry one another's loads, which is why he's saying, those of you who are mature, not immature, just be wise about who takes on, who has capacity for this kind of thing. Because even Paul himself knows it. Chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He doesn't really know what it's like to have a baby, I'm sure. But he's describing it in such a way. My little children, to the Galatians, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, I'm feeling this pain. And it's not going to let go these labour pains until Christ is formed in you. And then I can be at peace. He feels their pain. He feels the anguish of carrying their burden with them. There is a pastoral anxiety. I've known it. I've had sleepless nights over you. Not because you're hard work, because I worry about you. And now and again, when something has happened that could affect the church, it bothers me. 
not just for that person, but for all of you. I care about Beacon Church. That's not bigging me up, but I can, I, I can feel that pain. I know other pastors feel the same. There was an anguish in there, which is why we need to keep watch that our own danger zones, we're not going anywhere near them. We're very aware of the devil having a prowl because he wants to have a dig at you as well for doing what you're doing. Know your own capacity. But he's saying if Holy Spirit is generally working through you, you won't be conceited, you won't be provoking and envying, but you will be carrying one another's burdens. Jesus said, love one another, didn't he? Love one another. So other people will know you're my disciples. It becomes a window. It's a shop window to people. How we relate together. This is exactly what Paul is talking about here. And this is the crux of what Holy Spirit as an artist paints. Over time he just paints this beautiful picture of genuine community that the world will otherwise never have known, never have seen. It only works through Holy Spirit. There are good aspects of society around us. How people relate to each other. Just general common grace out there where groups, charities that aren't led by Jesus, aren't led by the Holy Spirit are doing wonderful stuff in the world. That's God's common grace at work. But to truly have a community that is built on something that looks as beautiful as this, it's Holy Spirit every time. And this is something that's just been bothering me recently. That we can sing songs about Holy Spirit and we ask him to come in power. And we're thinking about Herm Bay being blitzed for Jesus, don't we? We have these pictures in our heads, these great dreams. And we can sing the Lou Fellingham song, Breathe, We Believe You're a God. And there's that middle section. Life-giving spirit, come in this moment, don't we? Blessings from heaven, show us your power. And what have we got in our mind? We've got this incident in our mind that we're expecting. When he'll suddenly come in power, we'll all fall on the floor, we'll all be giggling and laughing and just reveling in the joy of knowing him and what he's done for us. And there'll be gold teeth and gold dust coming from the ceiling, golden eyeballs, I don't know. And we're just all dancing about and there'll be healings and people who can't walk will get out of their wheelchairs and there'll be people getting up from the dead and there'll be salvation here, there and everywhere and it'll be brilliant. And that's what we've got in our mind when he say come in power, don't we? But if Holy Spirit isn't running rampant, Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, in our everyday lives, in our workplace, in our neighbourhood, in our home, how dare we expect him to turn up just between 10.30 and 12 on a Sunday? It bothers me. And I seek more of him during the week. Sorry, I'm shouting. It bothers me. And I hope it bothers you as well. This is why what Fred's saying, the cloud the size of a man's fist, we do believe it's coming. We do believe there's a big change on this land coming. But it's got to start here, isn't it? It's got to start here. In his people. We can't just sit in the corner, wait for him to do his great thing, and then we go and get the glory for it. Who do we think we are? This is a 24-7 lifestyle. This is life by Holy Spirit. And when you wake up in the morning, I've learned this, I'm not a big fan of Benny Hinn. There's some aspects of him I'm not happy about. He's a worldwide evangelist. But what I do love about him is his phrase, Good morning, Holy Spirit. And I've just been doing that more and more. Before I've even opened my eyes, Good morning, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Show me where I'm going wrong. Show me what I need to change. Show me who I need to love. Show me what I need to do. Let me hunger for the word even more. 
and big up Jesus in my life even more. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Do it. It makes such a difference. Such a massive difference. And life by Holy Spirit releases these ropes that bind us of rules and of regulations. The need for a spiritual CV of things I get done at church. I know our last church, City Church, one guy turned up one Sunday, brand new, went up to the lead elder, gave him a list of things he's good at. So this is what I'm good at, wherever you want to plug me in. So he said, uh, okay, um, just help put the chairs away and use the tea towel and um, we'll have a chat in about six months. Guy never came back. wonder where he is now. Why jostle for position when we are all genuinely sons and daughters through Jesus? Julian Adams' phrase, I'm his favourite and so are you. It's true, I love that. Because life isn't about you and life isn't about me. Life is about us because of and bringing glory to him. It's a relationship together. When Holy Spirit is truly allowed to run rampant, Monday to Sunday, 24-7, power comes, stuff comes alive. The world sits up and takes notice and gets pointed to Jesus. Do you want to see more of that? I know I do. How is this possible? It's because of Jesus. And just as I end, he is actually more evident than we realise in these verses. We've been talking about carrying burdens, about coming alongside one another, about restoration, about jostling. Jesus carried our burden of sin to the cross, our burden of shame to the cross, so that is one load we don't have to carry anymore. What a release. Just through faith in Jesus, just saying, you're my saviour. I believe in you now. I know I'm a sinner. And I know at the cross you nailed it there once and forever, that if I believe in you, it's gone. If you're his, that has happened. He's carried your burden to the cross and he knew the anguish of carrying your burden. There's that pain, that anguish that Paul's talking about. Jesus knew that. That moment on the cross when he had our sin on his shoulders, he knew that pain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was a broken man. See the anguish there. He came alongside us as a human race 2,000 years ago and he comes alongside us today by Holy Spirit. Why? For restoration. That restoration, that resetting of broken bones our broken souls, our broken spirits by sin. He restored that and he felt the pain himself as he did that. He's the ultimate physician. And when he came, he never jostled for position. Philippians 2.7 said he made himself nothing. Because he was content in who he was, in his identity with the Father. And Paul's saying, be content in your identity with Dad in heaven. You'll never jostle for position. You just love one another. And Jesus did all that that we might receive his inheritance. An eternity with him, security with him, sins forgiven once and for all, hope, ultimate healing, forever. Riches in heaven, sons and daughters of the high king, brothers and sisters of the prince, Jesus he did that for us. So whenever we're tempted to jostle for position or get upset we got ignored again, does it matter? Ultimately, no. That song I was singing just now, Breathe, is a good song. 
I think we should sing it now. As we do, let's just be aware of the context of those words. I know Louis Fellingham herself, when she wrote it, wasn't just referring to one incident on a Sunday morning. But we have that picture in our head so often, don't we? As we sing this song, let's ask that he comes in power, not just for now, but for all the week. That we might see a difference this week in how we relate to one another, how we relate to our families, how we relate to our friends, how we relate to our colleagues and our neighbours. And let's see what a difference it makes. Yeah? Let's see who gets pointed to Jesus as a result. Let's see what opportunities arise to pray for healing for people. This is where it starts. It's not a certain time and a certain place. It's a lifestyle. Would you like to stand? I'm going to sort my microphone out.